Hey, everybody, what's up? It's your boy, MJ. Hey, man, I'm excited to announce a great community and platform that I've been working with called Rare Liquid. Uh, you know, a couple months ago, I was at an incredible event in Paso Robles with the Rare Liquid team and their founding artist and producer, Turtle Rock Vineyards. Uh, you might remember this was my number one wine from 2021, my famous Blackberry Cobbler a la mode motherfucker. Uh, Rare Liquid is really cool. They're building a network of artists and producers, collectors, and storage providers to solve the provenance problem for the rare wine and spirit industry. Members get access to verified limited edition drops from elite producers and can frictionlessly share, trade, gift, and monetize their collections. While for the first time in history, artists and producers can earn a royalty payment every time their bottles trade on the platform. Rare Liquid is expanding to 560 members through their invite-only Founders Club drop. You can check it out at rareliquid.club, which I'll put in the show notes. Uh, Rare Liquid has given me a limited number of membership invitations. If you're interested in an invitation and learning more, hit me up on Instagram at MJTaller, or you can just send an email to blackwineguy at gmail.com. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a Black Wine Guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is the owner and winemaker of Cruz Wine Company, Michael Cruz. Cruz Wine Company is a small winery in Petaluma, California, dedicated to making uniquely Californian table wines. Michael is a self-described unabashed Californian, and he came to wine through his interest in science and was mainly inspired by a lecture that he heard from uh, the recently deceased Professor Terry Lighton of Kalen Sailors. In 2008, he launched his first project, Ultramarine, a sparkling wine that has now achieved cult status. And in 2013, Cruise Wine Company was born to showcase and celebrate Michael's Californian-ness. I made that up. <laughs> but yes, his Californian-ness. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me. <laughs> so glad you're here, man. Um, tell people about the wines you brought today. Um, so this is a couple of different bottles we are doing. Um, I think that's the 2018, 2017, uh, ultramarine, uh, Blanc de Blanc. And then the reserve cask, uh, which is a, a new wine for us from, uh, cruise wine company. Nice. Nice. Um, and that was actually the bottle of ultramarine bouncing around inside the ice bucket. Everybody. And we, you know, we keep it real here on the black wine guy experience. Um, <laughs> So, you know, uh, I had the opportunity the day before this was recorded. I don't, you know, it's probably about a month for you here, but the day before it was recorded, had to go. I had the opportunity to go to a retrospective of Michael's wines. Um, like I said, the ultramarine wines have achieved cult status. They're yeah. very hard to get, so it was a wonderful honor to be there and taste through those and see what you're up to. So, thank you for that. It's uh, cool to have you, man. I, I think it's like we can talk about this but i think the 
one of the problems with the the air quote cult status is that nobody gets to taste shit. You yeah. know what I mean? And that that's I don't like that. So we I can't magically make more appear, but I can at least uh, make sure people know when I open a bottle so that we can get a few folks to taste it. Yeah. So thanks for that, man. Um, so uh, like I like to start, you know, I like to I'm like, uh, you know, that first Biggie album, you know, the setup like. <laughs> So where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, well, uh, California for our conversation <laughs> yeah. before. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I was born in San Francisco and then um, moved up to Petaluma for high school and, and um, then went to Cal. Um, so I'm a Bay Area kid like through and through. I think, uh, I don't know, if we were to like take a ruler out, I think I've never – never lived more than maybe 35 miles from where i was born something like that it's been, okay it's been local okay so you're hyper local so yeah. um do you did you grow up in san francisco or were you just born in like in a hospital in san francisco no no, no. I, I lived in san francisco until i was uh well it was right we moved right before the earthquake so i would have been uh so that's 89 89 yeah okay yeah. all right so i'm old man <laughs> you, you listen. <laughs> you look good, bro. <laughs> Thanks. No, um, so um, I don't know if I've had anyone who's from San Francisco, like because you know San Francisco. Yeah. Like, so what was it like growing up in San Francisco, like the city of San Francisco? Well, I mean, so I would say like my whole family was there, right, mm -hmm. and extended family was there, and then I think we started making an exodus out in the like late eighties, I guess. Um, but it was a kind of a blue collary place, honestly, at least in my sort of experience of it. You know, my grandfather was a, a muni diesel mechanic, so you know, RMTA, I guess. <laughs> and my dad worked at a uh, you know, a, a, a truck repair shop, and it was really it was the 80s too, so there was like you know, the age crisis and things like that, but it was a, a pretty down-to-earth kind of foggy place it was a very different place from now for sure it's very interesting because you know that you say that because when when you know like now people think of san francisco we think of tech you mm -hmm. know or or even uh or even uh what was that movie with michael douglas sharon stone oh jesus christ uh yeah yeah Oh my God! Why can't we? Anyway, basic instinct. Basic, yeah. No, 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 no. You're, you're thinking of the, the was not fatal the, attraction. No, no, basic instinct. Basic instinct. Yeah. Fatal attraction was the one with Glenn Close. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. They were in Sea Cliff, right? I think, yeah. Supposedly. Yeah. 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 yeah supposedly. But um, now that you mention that, I'm I'm reflecting, and you know there was that exodus from cities yeah. across the country. Right. In the 60s. So, yeah, it makes sense it was more blue-collar at that point. Yeah. Okay, so here's what I would say, because, you know, I was a kid. I was still a kid then. But what I would say is that, you know, I moved back to the city when I was – well, right after college. Okay. Right? And I lived there for another 10 years after that. And I think that, like – the thing that people don't fully understand about San Francisco is that it was a port city. I mean, it still is a port city, right? So you have, like – my great grandfather was like in the longshoreman strike in the thirties. You know what I mean? Wow. Like, so there was like a, um, yeah, I go back pretty, pretty far, I think. But, um, anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is a port city. So, you know, it's a hard drink in town. It's a place where day drinking was like a big thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. like, so, you know, we used to go 
again, this would have been the early aughts, late 90s. We'd go and go to like Chinatown or something at two in the afternoon and just drink till five or six or seven, then go home and like call it a day, maybe cook some dinner or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like that part was, it's still there, but that part of the culture of the sort of day drinking culture of the like, the port city kind of vibe, the blue collar stuff is gone. I don't want to say it's gone, disappeared entirely, but it's certainly gone away to a, to a, a real greatest extent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I've heard stories of, uh, you know, people working tech companies and like, and they're making like 150 grand a year and can't afford to live in the city. So I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's not, I mean, I would even say 150 is low and still <laughs> not being able to afford right. You know what I mean? And I think that like, um, you know, that, that's a bummer. You know, I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah, like right, it, right. It's a bummer. And then like it, um, I think it's dramatically changed the, the sort of makeup, the feel, the makeup and feel of the city. And I think that like, um, you know, I would say the Bay area as a whole is very similar. If you take it in, in sort of in total, it's very similar to how I grew up, but mm -hmm. San Francisco specifically has changed mm -hmm. pretty dramatically. Mm -hmm. So where, uh, any siblings? I have a younger sister. Okay. Yeah. Who so works for me, actually. Oh, oh, yeah. oh yes. You're, yes. And she's on maternity leave. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's that's a little right. nugget from, from our conversation the day before, um, which I don't normally do because you know, guys know I like to be surprised, but like, nah, man, there was too many bottles of Ultramarine. You don't know that. <laughs> Gonna turn that shit down. <laughs> um, so. Um, your family leaves the city. Where did you? Where did your family end so up? So Petaluma, actually. Petaluma. Enough, okay, yeah. so then you went up to Sonoma. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sonoma County. Petaluma is the furthest, uh, the furthest, the most southern city in Sonoma County. So it's right on the border with Marin. So it's it, it uh, it's a, like an easy commuter town. Yeah. So if you're going into the city, it's mm -hmm. a good spot. Basically, it's a thirty-five minute, forty-five minute commute. So what was what was that transition like? Because um, I mean, I hated it. You were a city kid. I hated it. <laughs> hated it like I didn't understand all these farm kids and because I mean Petaluma is still agricultural but it was even more so then and I was like you guys are dairy farmers like what the fuck <laughs> you know what I mean yeah, like, 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 like well, that sucks <laughs> like I don't want to be involved with that but I think um so yeah no I was very much anti um mm -hmm. but I think the real cool part about Petaluma um, even then was that it was not a cultural wasteland. Do mm. you know what I mean? Like it's mm -hmm. an old town. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, and it's retained its old, uh, its old history a little bit. Like downtown is like really nice and pretty and, and uh, it feels, it has a vibe to it. Like, and I don't know, shots fired at Healdsburg or, or like Santa Rosa, but like those, they don't feel necessarily authentic in the same way. Do you know what I mean? As yeah, well, I think it's so funny. As an outsider, what yeah. I would say is just having visited them, very limited. I think I've been to Napa twice in the yeah. early 2000s and then, yeah. and then Sonoma at one time, and then I was just recently in Sonoma. Mm -hmm. um, but as an outsider... I remember Napa like in 03 mm -hmm. versus like being in Healdsburg or Gurnersville now. Yeah. It still seems as an outside, again, as an outside president, it still seems, it, it still seems like, you know, cause you grew up there, but it still seems more, 
it's closer to its roots than Napa was, I, I think. I think that's probably true. I mean, I think Napa as a town, like this te- the city of Napa, is like, you know, it's its own thing and it's fine and like no shade on it. But I think yeah. like um, Sonoma County, depending on the town, has like actually catered to tourism on a level that like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a NIMBY dude. I, I don't care. Like whatever you need to get your money as long as it doesn't affect me too much. Right. Like it, I understand that. But I think Healdsburg has gone like whole hog and like we are trying to cater to folks coming from Napa. And um, yeah, they're trying to, you know, maybe siphon off some of that. Traffic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that and that's cool for them. But I, I like the fact that Petaluma has retained a little bit more of its um culture, I guess. No, Sebastopol's cool. like that, too, actually. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. So. yeah, no. Um, and, uh, you know, because you never want... It's like Austin, te- keep Austin weird, right? Like, yeah. Like, like, and Austin's had this huge influx. Like, while you, you're happy for the growth, you it, it the best thing is, like, when you... A band you discover, right? Yeah. You discover a band. You hear them in a fucking bar. They're amazing. Yeah. There's 50 people. And the next yeah. time you see them, they're going to people. And, and, the, and then all of a sudden, they get a hit. And then they're playing stadiums. It's you know you're like ah yeah like I know. that that's kind of what like you want you want them to be successful of but course. but you want the magic that yeah. comes from yeah yeah you know and Sonoma just you know um, well and the cool part here's the thing I'll say about Sonoma Sonoma and is obviously directly connected to the wine business and and that's a big part of it but Sonoma's also huge and there's a lot of other ag there there's dairy there's there's eggs it's not going away necessarily anytime in the near future so um i i don't know other people might disagree with me on this but i actually think that Sonoma County has a really low likelihood of turning into um the sort of slightly more disney Again, no shade, but that kind of more. No, Disneyland I know. I mean, I mean, Napa. we're here yeah. in New York, man. This yeah. is not the New York City I used to come into when I was in high school. Right, like Times Square. It was right. not. It was right. gritty. It was grime. It was triple X. It was prostitutes. Right, and, right, right, right. And now right, it is right. giant M and M's. Right, right. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. so, so I hear what you're saying. Um, so, I love that. So, like, what are these podunks? And like, let's go cow tipping, yeah. Michael. Right. Well, I mean, legitimately, we did like we <laughs> we would do. I I feel bad about it, but like. We would like get some bottle rockets, and uh, we would. I did cow tip once, but what was we would do more often? Would we get like the drunks would be coming out of the bars? Yep. And uh, we'd shoot like uh, bottle rockets above their heads, freak the shit out of them, and then we'd do the same thing with cows. So cows, you know, sleep and you they sleep all together, kind of, and you can shoot a bottle rocket, and they'll, they'll like all wake up and scatter and whatever. Again, horrible, dumb, well, some beavers and butthead shit, but that's what we do. Totally, right? totally. Right? totally. Like, but like, it was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it was. I mean, yeah, it was what it was yeah, at that exactly. time. Um, so, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting canceled. For, I know uh, you're, like, done. You're, you're done. Like, you're done. done. I got your back. Yeah. Listen, that's, listen, we, we've all done stupid shit. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. I think shit talking Hillsburg. Exactly. And then, like, exactly. Tipping right. over cows. Tipping yeah. over cows. Like, yeah. cruise. Good thing you're, you're DTC. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so you said like you, like you triangle, you're like 35 miles. So, uh, yeah. which are the UC, you went to a UC, right? I went to Berkeley. You yeah. went to UC Berkeley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then what's it like to go back down to the East Bay? Yeah. To Berkeley. Um, well, so that's a, that's such a funny question. I never thought I just went to Cal because I got in, honestly, that was it. It was kind of like, it was never, um, 
was like, it's the best school I got into, and there you go. Okay. And right, it's so funny. Like, we kind of like, oh, I got into Berlin. It's a, like, it's a really good fucking school. Well, for no, people. but I mean, like. But I get what you're saying. Right. It was like, it was, uh, I, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, so it was going to be. State one, school. It was going to be a state school, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I lived in the co-ops, which was like, you know, this would have been 98 to 2002, something like that. And I think my monthly rent was like you know, 150 bucks or something. It was, it was wildly, it was nothing, you know? And, and at that time tuition was uh, four grand a semester, maybe. That's kinda. sick. Yeah. I think when I graduated, maybe it had gone up to six a semester, something like that, or, or maybe six total. I don't remember exactly, but it wasn't much. Um, so that was it. And then, um, but I, I really love the East Bay. And um, maybe when I went to Cal, I didn't love it necessarily like I still was sort of like longing for San Francisco I guess in a weird way but um, you know I loved I loved the campus I loved how sort of vital it was I didn't care much for the sort of like uh, the sort of ex-hippie boomers that sort of kind of moved into like North Berkeley which if you know it is like kind of ritzy and you know the shape and East kind of area mm-hmm. um, but I, yeah, I had a great time. I mean, I, the truth is at Cal and like, uh, I'm, you can tease me about it, but like in college, I sort of fell in love with science and that's kind of all I did. Like I didn't really, I mean, I had fun and I partied occasionally, but like really I was just kind of in the lab being a dork. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that was, that was kind of it, you know? That's pretty cool. <laughs> Um, when people were so, um, were there any star athletes there when you were there? Yeah. So, um, so Aaron Rodgers comes right after me. So uh, he's a little bit, um, but we had Kyle Bowler was the quarterback when I was at school. Um, Joe Egbert, which I, he never played in the NFL, uh, played in XFL a lot. He was a, a fullback that was like a I mean, if homie was 5'10", he was lying. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah, we rushed yeah, the field yeah, a couple yeah. times. He was on my shoulders. Homie yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. he was probably 250, yeah. but he was like... 5'7". Yeah, 5'8". Best. And then, of course, Beast Mode comes after me. Okay. But just by a little bit, honestly, yep. though. So so that would be... Uh, I don't know. What was that? That would have been 04, maybe, when yeah. you went to Cal? Uh, anyway, but so, yeah, I, I love that. And then... I mean, we had, this is kind of dorky, but I was a swimmer in high school. Okay. And uh, I was not good enough to swim D1. Um, but, you know, I was a young buck kind of, and I was like, uh, I don't know, I had in my head that like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, they still had tryouts and shit for D1 yeah. school. So I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll swim. I'll walk know? on. Yeah. yeah, I'll walk on. Yeah. So like, I, I'm in the gym, and at the time, the swim, swim team didn't have a different gym. Like, everybody had the same gym. And uh, I'm, I'm in at like five in the morning. I'm like, fucking, yeah. Like I'm on the bench press. I'm like, I'm getting bit. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for this shit, you know? And then the swim team comes in. <laughs> and these bros are like, you know, blonde, Aryan, master six, race. Six, seven. Six, a hundred, a hundred percent. You know, six, six. Wingspan of a condor. Uh, <laughs> and I just like, I, I remember like clearly one of them. Who was a who was a freestyler and I was I was a breaststroker. It doesn't matter. We don't need to get too in the details. But I see him got an incline press and just starts for reps like two fifty on there or maybe three hundred. I don't remember exactly, but it was like I remember it clear as day and be like, 
All right, I'm done. He's like, okay, yeah, I'm, so, I'm done with sports. It's, it's like, over. I guess, I guess I guess that dream is died a little bit. Uh, so anyway. It's funny you mentioned that because I was thinking about, for whatever reason, just yesterday, really weird. I was thinking about, because I ran track D1. I was, thinking uh-huh. about, I was thinking about like how many athletes, like kind of in reflection of LeBron, like people don't even understand like, like how many people play sports, like start out and then – don't finish high school and then go to college and there's D1, D2, D3. <laughs> and and a lot of people, and the reason why I asked, like, I ran against people who went to the Olympics. I know Olympics. Yeah, like, exactly. you know, like, right. you know, or, you know, you, 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 you're running, you're competing against people and they're vastly better than you, but you're yeah. still, you know, but like, it is literally crazy when you think about how good of athletes some people are well, in the sport, I, that, That's the right way to think about it. I think what's funny, so I still swim now. I'm not, it, obviously not at all the same thing. Um, but, you know, you'll look at, you know, you'll do a set and you'll be like, oh, you know, I swam a, a 104. Look, for a 42-year-old dude off the wall, like, yeah. oh, I got a little extra. I got a few extra LBs on me, <laughs> you know? Like, I'm, I'm okay with that. And then, um, and then you think back to those times and like, I don't know about you and I don't know if it's the same with track, but like with swimming, going into a meet and going to a, uh, like, let's say NC- NCS, so like the North Coast mm-hmm. division or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying with 100% accuracy, but let's say with 80% accuracy for sure, you kind of knew where you were going to place. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. you sort of knew who was much better than you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you knew yep. who was sort yep. of much <clears throat> worse than you. Yep. And then you kind of knew your peer group. Yep. You know what I mean? It's so true. And it's like, it's one of those things where you're like, I remember one time I was trying to qualify for junior nationals and I was like, what again, whatever. We don't need to go too into swimming because uh, – No, because you know how people go like, oh, man, I wish I could get on this list. I used to swim. <laughs> no, people yeah. love this shit. Okay, well, anyway um, – I would I would say that like there's I was I was like trying to prep for it and whatever and I remember thinking to myself like why are we even doing this like I know I'm not saying I know what's gonna happen but like I know that I'm not gonna like magically swim but, three but sport, seconds but faster but I'm saying, you know what sports I mean? that are timed like yeah. you know exactly like exactly. That, that like that's it's a, a weird feeling it is a weird yeah. feeling and you're so true like I remember in like in college like you know like in high school I broke. Two minutes for eight hundred meters. Yeah, if you can break two minutes, you're gonna you can get a D one scholarship because you're yeah. like that's that's it's not Olympic, but it's fucking good. People yeah, realize exactly. how in, good in, that, in swimming it's junior nationals. Yeah, that's a, that's right, a qualifying right? time, right? And so, but like yeah, so I was D one, right? And like you know the Villanovas, we knew the or they yeah. they we knew they were whipping our ass, but yeah. like then there were other D one schools, and we're like yeah, but I'm not letting that guy beat me, 100%. right? Because we're we're about we're about pretty close, yeah. and like you know, and and then literally so far you like. Dude, you're not with the the arrogance. Like, like we might be like a half a second. I'm like, yeah. dude, do you think you could beat me like yeah, that? But exactly. that's how oh. you are, right? But and you know, like yeah. you said, it's so wild. And then like when I, you know, I didn't swim in college, obviously. I mean, recreational, I guess. And then I started swimming again, like, but more like, more like, you know, open water swimming. So you know, then you're like, you know, you swim around Alcatraz or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Right? And in those races, there's older people. And you know, like whatever, but there's some bigger races. Uh, you know, there's one under the Golden Gate Bridge, for example, that like attracts swimmers from outside of like your local. And I there's know, some circuit. master swimmer who's 
Kick your killer. Yeah. Killer. Yeah, that's how And you're like, you know, you've been swimming in the bay. That 40 year old dude just beat me, right? I know. You're 23 and some 40 year old just hands your head. It was like, I was, we'll see. But real talk, I was like 25, 26. I was swimming in the bay like four times a week, five times a week, something for like a year, two years. And uh, I remember I was like consistently swimming in the top, like top guy, maybe one or two, right? Yep. And then like these dudes came out of nowhere <laughs> and just absolutely handed me my ass. I was like, what is going on? I mean, and like open water swimming is not like. Yeah, and I was, like was going to say, yeah. that's that's some different shit. It's different. So it's like, it's not like, we're now we're not talking three seconds, you know, or two seconds or half a second or whatever. Now we're talking like three minutes yeah. or four minutes, yeah. you know what I mean? Or like that guy's out, toweled off on the boat and you're like, I think I can see the rock. You know what I mean? So anyway. No, that's so cool. I didn't really, uh, I didn't realize you uh, compete. That's so cool, man. Yeah. So, um, so you were, you were, you were a science major or something around science, yeah, right? Biochem. Biochem. Yeah. Whoa, why did you make it? Like, what was your thought? Cause you know, why make it? What was your thought when you were going oh, into, man, I, you know, it's so funny. Like, my nostalgia is like super high for this, so maybe I don't want to get too uh, too wistful about it. But I think I went into Cal. I think I went to Cal thinking I was going to be a doctor or something like that, right? And then I had this realization that I how we do science or or research, I guess, would be a better way to put it. That is the most creative process that exists, right? You have a question, mm. you figure out ways to answer that question, right? And Nobody's telling you to do it a different way because it's nobody's done it before. You know what I mean? And I really fell in love with it, even sort of early on. So I started, I wasn't a great student. I was like totally fine as a student. Where I was good was as like a lab guy. So I started working in the labs right away. Uh, and that was a cool part about Cal is like it's a big research school, obviously. So you can. You can find a lab job if you want a lab job. You know what I mean? So that's what I did, and I did that for a while. Uh, I got into biochem kind of because I think it was, like, the smallest unit of thing that I could be interested in that still explains things like life. You know? That's a dumb way to put it, but you know no, what I mean? I like that, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, that's what I got into, and that's sort of what I thought I was going to do for the rest of my life, honestly. And it's when you talk about like how your life you've never really lived like 35 miles yeah you live i think we all have this regional thing like like i did move to california which is great to move all that far across the country from new uh -huh. jersey but you know you know all i knew about california was like baywatch and tv shows right. and then watching the state tournament the basketball team right, right 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 and then you got up to california and the whole uc system and like when i was out there i was like all the Nobel Prize winners were yeah, like, like, exactly. like, like, like you must have had some crazy professors. I like, did. Yeah, I did. And it was wild, too, because, you know, like this is kind of a famous story. And this is a little again, a little inside baseball. But at Cal, um, it's famous for having bad parking because it literally is a tiny campus in the middle of Berkeley, which is I mean, it's not it's not a metropolis, but it's a city. You know what I mean? So if you win a Nobel Prize at Cal, you get a parking lot on or parking space on campus. And it says noble laureate on it right <laughs> and there's like 10 of them or something like I know, that it's like, it's like bananas it's, it's wild it's wild so i had a bunch of really great professors um uh, uh let's see one who well i had i didn't have any noble laureates i did have a couple of like macarthur fellows and stuff like that um and uh 
Yeah. And uh, I did end up working down the line. I did have a job with someone who was a Nobel laureate afterwards, but but that was a, you know, it, it was it was it was really cool. It was re- <laughs> yeah. They they look like normal people. It's not like they're no, I know, but it's it's just one of those, it's just like you know like especially East Coast we have this vibe we have the Ivy League and this yeah. and that you know what I mean. Right? Well, I think the thing that I'd say is that like there's a reason why tech is what it is, right? And that's that's a function of having Cal and Stanford at the same place, mm-hmm. um, and so close to each other, and and yeah. So we t- we're talking about swimming. Everyone's like talk about ultramarine. We'll get there, but like. Um, this is a 2017. I have my glass. It is a uh, Blanc de Blanc. Yep. Uh, and it was disgorged. 2017's vintage disgorged. 1117 at 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I want to get into the whole story, but um, well, well, I will save that. But I just want to. I want you guys to know we're going to talk about wine. I promise. We're going to talk <laughs> about wine. Um, all right. So. After you graduate from Berkeley, um, mm-hmm. what do you? What's your first job? What do you do? So my first job was still working in the lab that I okay. kind of graduated in, um, and I started sort of applying to graduate schools. Um, kind of still thinking I was going to biochem, and I uh, only applied to stupid places, like super hard to get into. Right. Five the people a yeah. year, six people a year, that kind of place. I didn't get anything. Because, like I said, my grades were not that good. And even though I had, like, good research, good GREs, good scores, it wasn't, like, you know. Well, when you're at that level, yeah. like, you know, then they, they, they go to the grades. If you got exactly, to, you know. exactly. So, anyway, so I didn't get into any of those. And then so I thought that while I was waiting to sort of reapply and sort of get my life uh, evened out, I suppose, <laughs> I figured out what I wanted to do, I started working at UCSF. Okay. And um, that was sort of an interesting job because uh, for reasons we don't exactly need to get into, um, I kind of got shit canned uh, because <laughs> I was not doing what I was supposed to. Not, I was doing nothing illegal. I was just sort of like, instead of, well, I, it's been enough years, I feel like I can say it, but basically the, the my interpretation okay. was that uh, the, the guy I was working for wasn't really doing the right thing. So because I was a young, super idiotic 25-year-old or whatever, um, I spent a bunch of time and their money like sort of proving him wrong instead of like just talking to people about it and stuff. Gotcha. If it was to be done all over again, I probably wouldn't be in wine at all because I probably would have done the mature thing and be like, hey, you know, I think this is probably wrong instead of being like, I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna bury this motherfucker. It's like, all right, all right, testosterone cruise, calm down a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So, so anyway, um, you know, whatever. Uh, and uh, so yeah, so so I uh, left that position. Okay. Um, and I was fired up, but I didn't. It's funny. I somehow that made me want to. To change industries, I don't know why. Okay. And I look at it, I look at it back, and I was like, "What was I thinking?" And I, the honest answer is, like, I don't know. Um, I wanted something different, I guess. So I applied to Davis's um, master's program for for enology and bit, and uh, got in. Um, and then I thought, like, you know, 
fuck, man. Like, I haven't, I know nothing about this industry. Like, literally nothing. Maybe I should work a job first. Um, so I deferred uh, and then started at, uh, at Sutter Home in their lab. Um, and pretty, pretty easy transition. And I really loved it. Honestly, I loved it. And it was, even though the lab work was like, honestly, when people talk to me about like the connection between like biochem and, and wine and like, there is no connection. Like, it's not the same thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's the same thing insofar as there's like glassware and analyses, kind <laughs> of. But like, that's it. Like, yeah. it's not, you know, it's not really comparable. But I found the work really interesting. And again, even at Sutter Home, um, and I found the the amount of production that you're doing is is really kind of wild, and and so that's that was the start of it, you know. I'm I just gotta go back. Why? I mean, were you had you started drinking wine? Like, well, you know, it's funny because I I was thinking about that the other day. Um, I guess I was always interested in cooking. That was a big part of my family, okay. and you know. Though I'm only half Italian, I, I feel like culturally my family was more like Italian Catholic. And so alcohol was a big part of that. But like it would be – my dad was always into wine, but alcohol kind of. Do you know what I mean? Like it was never a taboo subject with us and mm -hmm. it was never like frowned upon. But he never like – you know, he did not – you know, Jasmine's dad by comparison and my dad in terms of like their, what they drank yeah. it would not be the – it's yeah. not the same conversation, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. like, I don't know exactly why. I had um, I had a great uncle uh, who was, you know, a GP in, in St. Helena. Um, and he, funny enough, went to Cal. He's, he's not um, – he married into the family. But okay. uh, my great aunt was my grandfather's just friend. Anyway, um, he actually did go to Cal, funny enough. And uh, after the war, uh, went to medical school and then went um, – and was a GP there. So, you know, there was a connection to St. Helena, I guess. And his sons were like, again, tangentially involved in the wine industry. Mm -hmm. But like, I, I think I was just sort of full of piss and vinegar. And was like, if I can make 18 bucks an hour, like driving a forklift, like, that's what? what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think that's really what it Dude, was. You, you use like, you're too young to say piss and vinegar. Am I? That's I like, so, so that's some old school. I guess. Nobody I, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I just think it was like one of those things where I, I was really frustrated by something that I I loved. I loved science. Do you know what I mean? And I felt like it had, it had done me wrong in a big way, kind of, you know? I Even though it was entirely my fault in yeah, retrospect, yeah, yeah. right? Um, that I wanted to get out. And I think that it was a, it was just trying to find something that I wanted to enjoy, I guess, for the rest of my life. Yeah. And uh, I guess it could have just as well been cooking or something. But I think I realized that like cooking would have been 12 bucks an hour you know what I mean? No, listen. I think listen, that's kind of it. Uh, no, I, there's this, listen, this, 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 that's a lot, man. Well, and I was always involved in like homebrewing stuff like that. So I don't want to say like I wasn't involved. Okay, in, so like, you were homebrewing. When, when did you start homebrewing? Uh, I mean, my dad did it. And I guess I did it a little bit in college starting. And that was that was probably it. And I got more and more serious about that. That's so funny. Like, yeah. like I like how you were like in the lab, but then like you homebrew. Like. Yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, I was... This is a super dumb thing to say, but like my grandma was doing sourdough from not you know the the seventies on or sixties on something like that. So you know when I was a kid, I had my own little sourdough starter and stuff. So I was like, 
you know, making my own bread by like 10, I guess. So I, w- I always had the craft side of Maybe that's a better way to put it. I was always interested in crafts. What that was going to be. Uh, part of the cool part about biochemistry is that it is a lot of tinkering with like tubes and pumps and shit like that. So I was always like, I knew I was going to do something with my hands. I just thought it was going to be fancier. Maybe that's the right <laughs> way to put it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's fascinating because I, I think we we don't realize how much of our action is um, from our subconscious mind. And totally. Totally. And so, like, there's these little points, like Saint Helena and fermentation. Like, yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. there, there are these yeah. little things that the things were little kernels of corn in your head yeah. that, that you don't realize. Well, and I, I will say one thing that I hadn't mentioned yet is that I was becoming more and more involved with um, my my to be wife and to be ex wife, but you know, I love her to death, and mm-hmm. and we were together for 16 years or something mm-hmm. like that. And she was already a scientist and, okay. and well-defined as such. So the idea of like, I guess, to be honest, the idea of me moving across the country to like pursue, that probably wasn't in the cards or or it wasn't something I wanted to do maybe. So maybe that made wine more, more interesting. Yeah. So if knowing the type of wines that you make now, yeah. Um, and also, given your background, though, um, so their own big company, um, I think they, they sell more wines than anybody else or something. Yeah, like? yeah sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it, tens of thousands of tons of fruit. Uh, yeah. Like, what does someone do in a lab at a huge producer of wine like that? That's okay. So, that's a really. It, it, could be everything. Yeah. Uh, it could be all sorts of different things. But I think that, like, one of the things that I would say, and, and I'm sure there's a bunch of people that would disagree with me with this, but fuck them, they're not here. Yeah. Um, this is your I, show. Yeah, it's my <laughs> show. Um, is that the winemaking process is more or less unchanged, probably for like 5,000 years. You okay. know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not anything different. Right. What's different is the sort of logistics that go in and out of it. You know what I mean? Yep. So if you're in a lab at a large winery, you sort of have, you know, your fermentation checks to do. You have your sort of QA checks. And, you know, we were lucky. We had a very small sort of research program, too, that we were kind of playing around with different ways of, like, analyzing different flavanols and stuff. But anyway, like, it was like we had that capability, which was a big I really like that. I was only there for a, a year and change, so let's not like, you know. But for that period of <laughs> Michael time, Michael doesn't was, play well. Michael, Michael, <laughs> I'm digging your resume, bro. <laughs> no, no, no. I actually am. No, I'm very, uh, I'm very monogamous with jobs and otherwise. But it was, it was a sort of, um, it was a. I knew. Again, this is dumb, and maybe this goes back to sort of the swimming conversation too but like i sort of knew that that wasn't the pool i wanted to play in Got you it. know what i mean yeah and that i like once i realized that it was like oh i like that. Yeah, yeah i gotta i gotta get out of here and like yeah. again absolutely no shade to them like no more people probably drink my wines because of sutter right eventually you know right. or their parents or whatever but um and they were a good good group to work for and everything and, and took care of their employees but um yeah i just sort of had the realization like eh, this is not it's not my goals. Gotcha. Gotcha. So actually going back on it then, I guess what I would say, to be honest, is that once I realized that 
I could make 18 bucks an hour, whatever it was. I keep saying that. Like, yeah. I don't remember what I made. But um, then I realized that wasn't what I actually wanted to do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, that part was, like, pretty pretty quick, I think. Got it. Got it. They also one time – it's a dumb story. But one time they were, like, they were like, wanted me to wear a lab coat. <laughs> and I was, like, guys, like – Six months ago, I was like working with uranium salts with my gloved hands and fully like yeah. you know what I mean. Like yeah. we're not, not really we're not doing this. Like come on, so, so listen. I, this is wine. I spill a little making. bit of wine on myself. Yeah, like, yeah, stop yeah, it. Yeah, you know? Stop. Yeah. So anyway, I never liked. I never liked the like showing off for like the higher ups. It's a in bit or much. Yeah. All right. You know what? We're gonna take a quick break. Uh, we'll be right back. I'm loving this conversation. So I hope you are. I'll be right back with more Michael Cruz. Did you know that one out of every five bottles of collectible wines is a fake? Rare Liquid has solved this problem with a tech platform that provides unprecedented trust and transparency for next-gen wine collectors. Working directly with iconic artisans, they verify each bottle's provenance at its source, then track its rarity, ownership, storage, and transfer history on the blockchain. Rare Liquid members get exclusive access to these verified rare wines and can buy, store, and pimp their collections on the Rare Liquid platform. Membership includes physical seller storage as well as cloud sellers where you can display and trade bottles frictionlessly online without ever having to move the bottle until it's ready to be consumed. And because Rare Liquid tracks these on the blockchain, for the first time, artisans get a residual payment every time one of their bottles transfers ownership. Rare Liquid's game-changing tech creates a safe and frictionless experience for next-gen collectors while fairly rewarding iconic artisans for their craft. Rare Liquid membership is by invite only, but luckily I can help. I have a limited number of these invitations available for you, my listeners. And if you're interested in learning more about Rare Liquid, please reach out. You can hit me up on Instagram, at BlackWineGuy, or even better, send me an email blackwineguy at gmail.com and drop rare liquid in the subject line. Okay, so white coats be damned. Um, I read that you were influenced by a professor, Mm -hmm. Terrence Terry Layton, um, who just passed away recently. Yeah. uh, where was he a professor of yours or you went to a so lecture a, or, so or, yeah or, so it was two and it was like I guess again when we talk about that kind of subconscious hit like he did a freshman seminar um, with a, a really important professor to me which we don't need to talk about her so much but uh, that was just kind of talking about his wine business and wine and and I was like oh, that's cool he's very interesting and then I had him again for 110L which is like a, a hard it's like th- it's different now, but at the time at Cal, it was like if you wanted to get a biochem like designation, you had to pass this class, and it was like a five unit class. It was a bruiser of a class, um, and he taught the yeast uh, portion. And um, I, it's very funny to me because I've tried to look up afterwards to see that he actually did teach that class because it's just I like don't want it to be just my memory. I want to be right about it right. because. Uh, but no, Terry was like it's not unfair to say he was a mentor to me or anything like that because he wasn't, but. I think that once I knew of his existence and then afterwards, once I got in the industry and tasted his wines, I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. Like that's that's something that he was like, this is the – I want to be careful how I say this. He was – 
he pursued what he wanted to pursue mm-hmm. kind of be damned everything else. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So tell people, I mean, so I I had uh, Caitlin Sellers um, back when I first started in 97 because we had a few of the mm-hmm. wines at Acker, you know. Yeah. And just, I, I want to say, but like a not, it's just nondescript, like a very plain label. Yeah. Just Caitlin, yeah. you know, and, but like, all right, so they released like last year or two years ago. Yeah, like a a twenty year old Chardonnay. Yeah, exactly. Like known for just holding wines. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had no idea who's a professor. Twice, so like, but yeah. like, and you teach for, but like, tell people because there's a lot of people. I've like, like the wine geekiest of wine geek wines is yeah. killing cells. Like, yeah. tell people a little about what he did, and like I said, like pursuing his own. He had his theories and he pursued them, and it's so funny because um, when I was jazz, we talked about like people like people now like to play like I don't give a fuck, but like most people come from a negative place, but like he had a vision and clearly yeah. believed in something yeah, and, and I think lived that. I, well, you know, it's funny. I I would um, William Kelly would be an, a much more because he, he worked with him for a while and he would be an interesting <laughs> guy to get his opinion on it. My take on uh, on on Professor Layton was that he had a view of how wine should be enjoyed, right? And that uh, mm-hmm. Americans specifically were drinking wines way too young where things hadn't been mm-hmm. evolved correctly. Mm-hmm. And he had all these different thoughts on, on sort of yeast development things too, which is like a different conversation and I think a, a super useful one, but probably too pedantic for yeah. this kind of thing. Yeah. So the... the TLDR kind of thing is like you know it, it basically <laughs> he released stuff super super aged with the idea that it should be drunk then yeah when it was released yeah and, I was and to drink it. that also he sort of he never put like uh, he had kind of a code for like the vineyard names too because he didn't want that to be like too big of a deal kind of and he also was like he wanted wine you know he would say that he'd like you know never release a wine less interesting than yourself kind of you know or, mm. and or um, I, I might be misquoting it kind of but it was it was that kind of thing where you sort of realize that um, he was operating sort of outside of of the norms kind of I mean now just so that we're clear I mean he was a tenured professor at a major institution so like he was not you know there was not there was not fiscal pressure exactly to not in the same way yeah not right. in the same way right. but um but you know you need folks like that i think to sort of be like okay well we're pushing it here and there and i also think the thing with terry is that like i don't know i, I don't want to i don't even think this is speaking ill but i think like whether or not you like those wines or find that enjoyable which i'm not entirely sure i always did yeah, that it's, last Chardonnay was was a miss. It's, he it's, held it yeah, too long. It's, it's it's going a little far, but yeah. but that's not the point, right? Is like when you're doing something that's really on the edge and pushing the envelope, and especially remember these wines were coming out when you know, and this is no shade to Kissler, but like Kissler Chard is like the go. You know what I'm saying? So like having something that's much much leaner with like butterscotch mm-hmm. and, and toffee and like you mm-hmm. know and that and it even being the same varietal, like uh, that's that's pretty yeah no iconoclastic I, I guess is yeah a, no a I love that I yeah. love that and just the, the pinot everything I was like wow this is like 
Yeah. He made sparkling wine, too. I've never had mm, any of them, um, but uh, he did do a little bit of sparkling, which I always find hilarious. So I want to talk about your resume, and then we'll get it. But, like, so Sutter Home, and then where 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 are some of the places you have worked so as? I only home? worked at one other place. Okay. Yeah, and that was Maryville. Okay. So I only worked at Maryville, and I uh, basically how I got into that was that um, – I had interviewed for another job. Um, it doesn't matter, but I had met um, Sean Foster, who's a winemaker there, uh, at another place before he moved, um, and they needed his help setting up the lab there. And I was like, I can do that. And I sort of was relatively quickly promoted, and then was running, you know, the day-to-day operations anyway, the cellar in a few years. When you started at Maryville, what was like their production? Well, I was at the Starmont location, so I was okay, in the, Star- I was in Carneros, and uh, I only spent a small amount of time up in Saint Lena, but okay. um, so it was pretty big. I mean, you know, yeah, because Starmont Starmont was big, so I don't know. We were doing I don't ever think we got a hundred thousand cases, but we were in that range. It was, you know, the funny part about all this stuff is that like, and we did Custom Crush too, and I, um, for me, it was always like, I would much rather take my licks and watch. 100 fermentations a year than do like three you know what i mean because i'm i'm look you only make wine once a year right so it's better to make 400 of them than one of them or two of them or three of them you know and i think that i i wouldn't recommend that career arc to anyone Mm -hmm. other than me (laughs) you know what i mean um but it was um i think it was a really important way for me to learn about production is sort of spend you know, eight, nine years working in bigger places. Sure, sure. I mean, I'm, it makes sense. So you get this idea, was it 2008? Like, so you're working, you know, Maryville's known for Cab, Chardonnay, and right. pretty much. What had you decide, what, what, what crawled up your ass or whatever? Like, like I'm going to make a sparkling wine. Um, well, that makes it sound like I had an idea, which is not exactly <laughs> true. Um, I would say, an man. yeah, exactly. No, I'm not going to take it. Um, I think he that did a Ben Simmons pretty <laughs> much, it out. pretty much. I, um, I, so it was me, Graham Waymeyer, who's now the winemaker at, um, Diamond Creek. Okay. Um, and our buddy, uh, Ryan Bradley, who's a, um, a doctor, um, and we were kind of sitting around my table, and we had got it. The, the bee in our bonnet really was about doing something. You okay. know what I mean? And, and what that was, we don't know. But I think that we had just decided that the idea of making, like, a $45 bottle of, like, single vineyard Pinot Noir was, like, kind of whack. And that other people had done it and probably better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at the time, we were drinking uh, we were drinking some Le Mondier, which I don't know back in 08 what that would have been. But, um and it's something just kind of clicked. I was like, why don't we try, you know, sparkling wine? Um, and, you know, Graham had worked at Jay for a vintage, um, but that was kind of it. And we're like, okay, cool. So we started doing it kind of in our back, in my backyard um, with some grapes that we got and whatever. And um, the first two vintages were really bad. Um, and I'd sort of learned the process from like, you know, reading old, French textbooks from Cal's like library that didn't make it up to Davis, you know? Yeah, no. So yeah, just delving that because you mentioned that at the the tasting. Yeah. So, like what was this like what it was like a really old book, right? Yeah. So basically the the first stuff was from 
I mean, you can look stuff online and like find out how to do a yeah. tirage. But um, I was reading a guy, Weinman is his last name, and he created a series of manuals um, in the late 1800s. I think it's from 1858 or 1868, something like that. And he's done multiple revisions up until the early 1900s. And I don't know his full deal. I think he sold like fertilizer or something. Yeah, and then he created like these manuals. And I think a lot of people don't, uh, this is again, too much inside baseball about the UC system, but um, the University of Cal, it's it's the University of California at Berkeley, right? Yes. Right, it's the University of California. California at Santa Barbara. Exactly. At San Diego. So the UC system is Cruz. one system. It's, it's one, one school, college, one kind college. of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and people will disagree with me on that, but but basically Cal was the first one. So all the agricultural stuff was at Cal. Davis happens, I think, in the 60s. I Don't Got get it. mad at me, Davis. Yeah. But basically all the agricultural stuff then moves up to Davis. But some stuff that they had multiple versions of. So, like, there's a bunch of Pasteur manuals still at Cal. Louis Pasteur? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 From the original shit, like, yeah. there because they had multiple ones. So yeah. one of them was this manual on a treatise on making sparkling wine. And that's when I was like, okay, well, that's they don't have any machines and – the 1850s do this shit, so that's great. Cause I don't, that's I don't, a good, you know that's I mean? a good uh, model to go off of. Yeah, exactly. So um, we did that for a little bit, and then um, I was still at Maryville, and, and there was a client, a Custom Crush client we had there that uh, bought some fruit from Charlie Heinz. And I had tasted that fruit, and I was like, this is this is where we need to be. And Charlie was famous already then, but maybe not to the same level. So just because uh, um, digressing, because I have like people who just starting out. You know, I have this swap. Tell people a little about Charlie Hines real quick. Okay, just so uh, Charlie Hines is plants. Well, actually, technically his brother, but we don't need to get into that story. But he planted Chardonnay in the early '80s. I think '82. Um, out in Occidental in what was his family's apple orchard. And um, Occidental is in the real western part of Sonoma County. Um, it's very cool. It's a shockingly high elevation site, but still sort of just barely at what a typical fog level would be. Um, so it's, it's very cool climactically, but it also has not as much sun. So I, I like to... The way I describe Charlie's, at least his Chardonnay, is it's sort of like when people talk sometimes about Burgundy, they'll say the best sites are the warmest spots in the coolest area, right. right? And like that's Charlie. Charlie is the warmest spot in the coolest area of that region. Um, and so anyway, um, I called him because I knew that this client wasn't going to be taking that fruit again next year. And I was like, hey, I'm Michael Cruz. You don't know who I am. Nobody does. But I want to make sparkling wine from your vineyard, and what do you think? And he said, "We'll come out and whatever." And um, yeah, you know, I chatted with him. He's a, he's a also from Sonoma County. He's a super blue collar, chill dude. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was like, "All right, that sounds good." And that's kind of what we did. And we've been working together now for thirteen, fourteen Heinz, something like that. So he's twenty three oh eight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 10, 10. So, so, so the thir 10 was the first vintage. Okay. So I guess 13 is coming up. So it was 13 harvest so far, and then okay. we're going into our 14th. So um, you have a day job. You're going to make some sparkling wine. You got this good fruit. Um, 
the name Ultramarine. Mm-hmm. What where what's the origin of that? So that's a hundred percent Ryan. So uh, that was Dr. Bradley. Okay. Um, we so it's a funny thing about sparkling wine is that like in 2010 again nobody knew who we were in 11 nobody knew who we were 12 13 14 so we don't release till end of 2014 and that whole period of time we did not have a name for it um and then like we started thinking in earnest at about year three like you know we kind of need to call this something um and we we did a bunch of names and i guess i don't know the full story so i'll I'll make one up that I think is close to true. <laughs> is that I think that he's um, fact checking himself. He's fact checking himself. <laughs> yeah, Ryan. I think Ryan had um, read an article or something about like blue color and painting in the middle in um, the Renaissance period. Okay, it's ultramarine as a dye is like really hard to get. You know, you climb blue and stuff. Anyway, whatever. Um, we came up with that and we were like, cool. And then we um, We started, like, I think one of the things that happens when you have a name for something that's not, like, your own name or something, you sort of, that develops meaning as you kind of carry on with it, right? So then the fact that it was this really hard dye to work with and the fact it was the color of the ocean and all of that, that sort of ended up, the, the fact it sounds like a, a you know, a high-end Russian cl- dance club or something. I don't know exactly. Like, there's all of those things kind of played um, into the name. Yeah, you know? yeah. So you said earlier, like, you know, the first vintages weren't in good, or, you know, they weren't that good. Um, and, and they were disgusting, to be fair. <laughs> like, like, let's not d- damn myself a faint prayer. Like, it was, it was straight up bad. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so great. Um, but you, you, you're pushing forward, and, you, and literally you said 2014, no one knows you are. So what was the when when was this like what was the release what were you selling it for when you first started what was the release price when you first okay, started so we have to kind of go back a little bit because okay. cruise starts in 2013 okay and i didn't have a winery to disgorge this stuff at or anything like that um until then so in 2013 we open up cruise and so now i have a winery okay. right and at the time i i with apologies to anyone that I'm missing here, but, um, you know, I would say Hardy Wallace probably, uh, well, he was at the winery and he was working, he was doing custom crush there and he had Levy Dalton over and Hardy had tasted Ultramarine said, Levy, you got to taste this. So Levy tastes it. And I'm just, I'm, and by the way, these are not finished bottles. These are like Michael's disgorging it and just right. like, um, on the back of a forklift and Levy's like this is really good and he called up Patrick Cappiello who was still in New York at the time and I think that's kind of how it started and then probably Pascaline then probably um, I don't know all those kind of cats that were kind of okay so so it's it's so Hardy was in a couple weeks ago it was was a great he's amazing he's amazing yeah um, Patrick's been a guest. Patrick's been a guest. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, you, Hardy uh, Levy, right. shout out to like the Godfather of Wine podcast. Right, 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 right. Um, you kind of got in on the New York Psalm scene, is kind of yeah. I would okay. say yes. And then what ended up happening was, 
at the same time, I was, I don't want to say it was entirely that because I was working on California sure. at the same time. But um, that first release, I don't want to say it was 45 bucks. Okay. Um, and it was not hard to sell, but it did take like, it did take an appreciable amount of time to sell, right? A couple months or something. Right. And I I think somebody mentioned us on Wine Berserkers too at the same time. And and then there was like some weird blow up on by the eleven or twelve vintage, let's say, there was some crazy blow up on Instagram where it was like constantly being like posted. And um and yeah, and then that was it. And then uh Winemaker of the Year was twenty sixteen from the Cron from the Chronicle. Um, and you know, at that point, I still don't think I had ever submitted to a critic. Um, well, that's not true. So I guess well, this is a funny story, but the spectator will occasionally buy wines. Yep. And, uh, they somehow found a bottle of ultramarine. So they have the 2010 shard. I took it off my door, but I had the review up for <laughs> eight years, seven years, something like that on my, uh, on my office door. And it was like. I'll say it was an 89. I don't remember what it was. It might have been 84. But it was like, it was a, a rather damning review yeah. of um, of the wine, which is fine because I think, honestly, I think that's totally okay. And like, I know, know, but it does suck, though, like if they bought it, right? Like, it's not like you submitted it, right? Like, well, it was, they sought it out. <laughs> well, I think, I think there was enough. I mean, the truth is, is that I think there was enough sort of play that they were probably getting, you know, asked about on some level. And, and oh, they, that's probably, you know, yeah, yeah. People like, they were probably, I'm making this up, but right. they were probably, I call them the wine speculator. They were right. probably, they were probably behind the ball, and they and like it, it was like, but someone's right. like, have you heard about this? Right. Like, no, we need to check it out, and then they right. did their review. Fine, right. got right. it. Yeah. But I will say, you know, in in now, like Tim Fish who reviews the sparkling, like, you know, we're in contact. Like, he's right. gonna come over by the winery. Like, it's not there. There's no like, oh yeah, no animus or anything. Or anything. Like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I just think it's funny that there's like a, I think people well whatever but i think people in the small circle that we run in yeah. i think people thought that i was a little um standoffish about certain things and maybe i was you know what i mean but um but you yeah. the guy who tried to take down his boss with the research <laughs> i'm not i'm mellow man i'm, uh, no, I'm I know. in my 40s but, now but people cool. get like the, that's the thing about mellow people though once yeah. you get someone who mellow like locked into something it's the worst like yeah. you go like like once you've got a call, like you had a cause, I get it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. All right, so it starts to blow up. Yeah. Um, and you know, I mean, and and it's very interesting because, oh, you know what I know of Pascaline and Patrick. They're they're those are these are avant garde people in a hardy, right? Right. Like for something to become cult, then it's just you need money to buy it, which is very interesting. Like, like right. they're not the Psalms to they're not EMP Psalms. You know what I'm saying? They yeah. they are yeah. very well curated, very no diso. I love all you guys, but you know they're like like a place like EMP has to run a program and you know like has to have DRC. Whereas right. Pasadena's like, no, I'm gonna find you this fucking Saint Laurent sure. and it's gonna be better than any. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a very so I think it's interesting that like it, it starts there, yeah, and then you shared a story with some of the writers and say so like 
you had did the release yeah. and you're on like berserkers and then yeah. what what kind of like happened so this was this was much later now okay, this is like maybe uh four releases afterwards but you would see like i would get an email i would send out my email to yep, everybody you're offering yeah and it would be like you know here's this yada yada and i would see folks like then take that offering buy it but before the wine was here they started posting because well, it's pre so you exactly buy the wine. exactly so then they posted on berserkers for like Hey, pre-release. This is like two fifty or something like that, right? And it would sell. And I and like I don't know. I don't care. I, honestly, like the reason why I price Ultramarine relatively inexpensively. I mean, it's seventy seventy five now. Maybe it's eighty. I don't honestly know, but it's in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, was because I wanted people to drink it, and that was really the extent of it. I, it was nothing past that, you know. Um, so, if people who are on the wait list want to spend two hundred bucks for it. You know, um, okay, that's cool. I'm not like I'm not out to change my pricing in order to match that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's cool. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I kind of feel like that's a. Well, I won't tell the story, but I, I do think that like there have been people that celebrities and stuff that sort of like message me and like trying to get stuff and like I'm like okay, cool. Like I'm really glad you like it, but you know we have a wait list for everybody. You know, and, and if you there's a secondary market if you want to get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Oh, that's 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 so like people hit you up like hey uh, you may know me from my role on this yeah or you just, I mean I mean and it's just so funny because you know obviously you know who's celebrity like hey yeah, man yeah. Uh, you know I was wondering I've heard about your wine yeah had it at a friend's house uh, or whatever you know it's funny that happens more is well that's not happens more but what happens occasionally is like I'm you know I'll get a contact from like a uh, a gray marketer or something like that I'm like I'm the buyer for name the person and they want this and like and I'm like that's cool like you can find it yeah. you know what i mean yeah uh, uh bro you know go go you know it's gonna cut into your little commission but you go find it over there exactly yeah and, and <laughs> if, if you're the person that's looking for that person and you really are that person then the difference between 70 bucks and 200 bucks is no difference you know what oh, i mean it's zero yeah so. yeah if you anyway. have someone buying your wines for you come on yeah let's, so, let's anyway. quit playing um uh, we'll we'll talk. We'll talk. We're gonna be hanging. We'll talk. I'd love to hear some of these stories. Um, but okay, so start Ultramarine and then Cruise Wine Co. Twenty Thirteen's Petaluma Small Producer, um, Monkey Jacket. Yeah, that's it. Monkey Jacket. Go. Monkey Jacket. So I think that what I was sort of thinking was like we were talking about with the California thing in the beginning. I sort of felt. I don't know. Again, you might be right. Maybe I just get bees in my bonnet, and then I'm like, I'm, I'm just like a gila monster <laughs> on it. But I don't know. I hope I'm not that way. But uh, I didn't know we were going to be therapy for a little bit. But I think um, I sort of realized that a lot of California. I don't want to say new California. I don't want to like call anybody out because I don't necessarily think that that is a fair assessment. But I feel like a lot of people good producers people who i legitimately like were trying to make wines that were sort of not californian you know what i mean like trying to pick stuff like super super early or try to make varietals work that varieties work that maybe like shouldn't work i mean i'll say that i mean i i agree like we have i've I've obviously gotten to come to know a lot of winemakers i'm like you know they're like listen don't you don't have to take you know i think the whole skip me california i'm like you take the 405 to Sepulveda and cut right. over to, right, uh, exactly. you know, yeah. Pico, yeah. you know, to the tin. Right. 
And if I do this, but if I leave a half hour earlier and I pick it, it's going to be 11% alcohol and it's going to be a wine. Like, mm, yeah, is it? Well, and so here's the thing I'd say is like California has a lot of sunshine, right? Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like, it's kind of the deal, man, you know? And I think that like for us, or for me, I, I'll speak for myself. I think that ripeness doesn't need to be overblown. We could still have ripeness, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think part of Monkey Jacket, which is our red blend, which was a Val de Gay based blend um, with some older vines and, and, and some stuff mainly from Mendocino, was a way to sort of create something that was, you know, 25 retail. That's kind of the idea. Um, I might not be what it is in your state, but you go to the winery, <laughs> it's 25 bucks, you know what I mean? Good and, answer. And, uh, and something that people could enjoy and drink and be a little California sunshine. And that was really, that was really it. Because, uh, I mean, I love Ultramarine. I really do. And we've talked a lot about it. And I, I'll talk all day about it if sure. you want. But I think that, like, at the end of the day, because of what that wine has become, I don't think it's really representative of my wines full stop. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm mean, sitting here yeah. with you. We're talking. You swim, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. I mean, and just to finish the Ultramarino, like, you didn't sit out. Like, there's people who sit out who want to make a cult wine. Yeah. I was talking to a PR person the other day, and, and she's telling me about a client, and they're like, you know, they want to have a cult wine. I'm like, well, you know, like, that's not really up to you. Yeah. That's not up yeah. to you. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, look, I think – I don't think anybody thinks this about me, so, like, I'm not yeah. – I'm not – but the idea of us hiring – this winemaker and then hiring this viticultural consultant and right. then file like and, that's not and us at all that barrel yeah these barrels and and then also with this conversation i was like and then you know to have a cult wine and then you're not going to get it scored because scores go into cult because like i yeah, said right scores is what creates you know it's like when parker has your shit and right. you know, has your sinequinon like who is this and it gives yeah. it like 98 out the box that's what makes a cold right. wine right right right, right? not right. not just because you hired so said said yeah. and you know yeah and then it becomes formulaic on one level but oh, but like but like and i didn't put it in like lebron's hands or something like you know yeah. what i mean not that i would have been able to do that yeah, anyway right, but right. you know what i'm saying right like, and then, then there's a plate yeah, yeah. Now, now it's a whole different game right right and, and that's never been what we were about and like i feel like i've come across i've had some arguments with with people about this but i feel like we've come across this honestly if nothing else you yeah. know this is the wine, the 17 that we're drinking represents the better part of a decade worth of work, um, both in the winery, learning, in France, you know, whatever. And I think that, like, um, I'm really glad for the trajectory that it took. And I think I told you this yesterday. I think the big thing for me with Ultramarine is that once I realized what it was, mm -hmm. I realized that we had to make it good always. Yeah. And that's a very dumb thing to say, but I think it's actually quite profound. Is that there was no experimentation anymore. There was only refinement. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, exactly. If you're Steph Curry, you do not decide that you're going to start working the middle, right? Like yeah. you you are a shooter. That right. is what you are, right? right? And yeah. I think that's the thing with Ultramarine is I realized that really early on, and then I became focused on doing that better. Yeah. You know? No, I was I didn't say it, but like, like once you get something – there is something we said about 
once it's you have to dial it in and this is our program how do we refine the program that's right there comes a point we have to stop experimenting because of what it is like yeah, you exactly said right. and okay we can refine this program but, right. but like like you know like someone pointed out it's like Ridge has a program, American Oak. That's their program. Exactly. That's their program. Yeah, you're not going to start doing Montebello no, exactly. and large cast. No, no. Yeah. Gal has a program. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like when you when you there's that's that I kind of like refining the program. So, but with Cruz, you know, getting into your Californian like a Valdez based blend, yeah. it's kind of bananas. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of it. No. Um, what's kind of like. Your 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 philosophy or focus with Cruz, which is, which is um, which is nice to have Ultramarine, but like is more I think is more allows you to be you. Right. I think that's that's maybe better said than I could say it myself. Honestly, I think that like Cruz started out. I was never going to make. I was not going to make sparkling wine for Cruz. It was going to be all still wine. It was going to be all. You know, but I've had that sparkling bottle. Uh, it's pretty know. tasty. It's I very know, tasty. That was the bottle I got. I was like, I can afford that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were going to start with like sort of, you know, Val de Gay, Carignan, Syrah, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then the bug of sparkling started extending a little bit. And again, like I think I said with, with Ultramarine, like I once I knew that I kind of had to do it this way, then any of the experiments that I wanted to do then had to go into cruise so like for example you're drinking the reserve cask mm -hmm. which i think is like a great example of like that type of thing you know that's something that i can do with cruise i can't do that with ultramarine you know what i mean yeah um, yeah so i'm i'm honestly insanely lucky that i get to have it have my cake and eat it too um but that's really come out of me um i don't know around a lot, I guess. Yeah, I don't, no, I don't no, know exactly, exactly, exactly that's right, right way to put it. <laughs> no, I yeah. get it. People, that people, listen, that is a technical term. People yeah, right, will actually right. get that, right? right? You know. Um, so, what are? Um, and then also, you shared a story about uh, monkey jacket. Like, where? I mean, that that's like such a the, the name. Yeah, it's yeah, an interesting it's funny and uh, moniker. So, yeah, so that was the name of the winery when it was like in my dreams for lack of a better word so um i don't know this is again maybe it's too much inside baseball for folks but basically i wanted to go big with cruise and by that i meant i wanted a facility that was going to be able to sort of match uh both my ambitions and also make it financially sustainable so that i didn't have to have two jobs i think that's one thing one advice for young wine folks out there do not just do what you can afford. Make a business plan that actually makes sense and then execute on that business plan. I, I'm kind of talking to myself here too. No, but it's like, great. But it's like, don't just do, if you have 10K to rub together, great. But if you can't make a business off that 10K, don't waste your 10K. You're just throwing money away. You know what I mean? Um, and that was sort of my idea. So I had this pretty in-depth business plan. I was going to do Custom Crush for some other folks. I had kind of invested... I'd worked with a bank. and Anyway, so I was working on all this stuff while I had my other job. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I had kids. I, I mean, I still have the kids, obviously. But, like, <laughs> I, I – uh, You had younger children. I had younger children. Yeah. So I was not sleeping all that much. And I would listen to um, – in college, I would listen to, like, punk music. Uh, you know, nothing – but, like, Rancid, Operation Ivy. That was kind of yeah. my go-to. Yeah. Um, and uh, I was, like, a big hip-hop kid in high school. But, like, somehow that would – I don't know. Anyway, um, that was my college stuff to kind of stay awake. And that kind of stopped working a little bit. So I found a bunch of sea shanties on like Spotify. And one of them was called the Banks of Newfoundland. And it talks about these two guys who pawned 
their monkey jackets for women in booze and die of hypothermia. And I thought that was just kind of a funny name. And it's so very funny. It was either going to be hypothermia or syphilis. Or, right, right, right. Exactly. They probably know. got. They, they probably, probably had, had syphilis. They had, exactly, yeah, exactly. But they froze first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, and then, you know, after a while, I suppose it kind of come to symbolize this idea of like work ethic and focus. And got it. But but it wasn't that way at the time. It was just kind of a yeah. funny, a funny name. That's the best. Yeah, that's the best. And it's just it just so people know it's just like a peacoat, but it's like tight around the waist. That's all. Um, so what are the um, do you, besides monkey jacket, which is the name of a wine you now release right. annually. Right. What other what other and and yeah, this the sparkling Valdegay. Yeah. What what other uh, are there some are there some state are there some staples in that lineup yeah. or well I think the 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 two staples would be monkey jacket and tradition. So tradition okay. is our sparkling wine, our traditional method sparkling wine. Um, that's um, I don't know. It's different from ultramarine insofar it's multi vineyard, um, it's multi vintage. We we have a reserve program for it. Um, it's no sulfur in the elevage. It goes through mallow. So there's all these little different. It has a little bit of tie in it as opposed to ultramarine, which does not. Um, so it's all these differences. It's meant to be. Well, I, look, I mean, I think ultramarine is a representation of sight mm-hmm. insofar of Heinz. Like mm-hmm. Literally, it's mm-hmm. from Heinz, right? Mm-hmm. And tradition is more of an idea of California sparkling whole, you know, full stop, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and is more accessible, I think, in that way. Um, and then, you know, we've always made a bunch of other wines off of that, but we make probably eight eight to 12 wines a year, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started the demo series, which like is this sort of, you know, offshoot, I guess, of Cruise, which is sort of these more experimental wines, like you're drinking the reserve cast, like I said, which is sort of the bottling of um, our reserve wine that's been aged an extra year. Um, but yeah, it's all sorts of little, little experiments and things. Pet Nats too, um, which you've done for a while. And yeah. Oh, did I have a Pet Nat of yours too? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, the only... Uh, we do actually it's funny now is our pet nat release um, for DTC and it's um, we're doing a white zen so kind of going full circle back to Sutterhome yeah I gotta talk to you offline about that because I'm actually (laughs) I I was I did this I've been doing these wine talks at Yale which is pretty crazy that's cool man which is very cool from a kid who went to state colleges yeah Um, and um, I told him I was like I was gonna come back and do like like a spring, like a rosé, but like porch pounder kind yeah, of exactly. things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, I, I'll talk to you because I might need like six bottles for this tape. You got it. I, yeah, it'd be yeah, super cool. Um, so I, listen, we listen. You've edited yourself. Like there's stories you could have, like we uh, could talk uh, for uh, hours, uh, uh, but we're coming up on the time here. Yeah. And, and uh, I get a couple more questions that I want to, and I don't have a whole lot of questions, but. Um, but just some things I want to, you know, I fun shit I like to do. Um, so, um, uh, FMK, fuck, marry, kill. Okay. I'm gonna give you three grapes. Okay. One you're fucking, one you're marrying, one you one you're killing off. You can't have anymore. Okay. Very hard for you. Um, I think it was a little easier when I had Jasmine in because <laughs> I just gave her, I gave her, th- I, but for her it was a window into cuz you know she's so peen on a war folks yeah, so it was yeah, a window yeah. into what else she drinks so that was a uh-huh, fun uh-huh. one but for you I'm just just going to be brutal okay Valdegay, St. Laurent Carignan who you fucking who you married who you killing oh that's interesting so um 
I mean, unfortunately, I'm killing Saint Laurent. Wow. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. Yeah, and I hurts me. Yeah, I know. It hurts yeah. me, but uh, she's gone. Um, Mary Valdigue, most versatile grape in California in my mind, and uh, and then yeah, fucking Carignan. Carignan is a man. We could have a conversation about Carignan because Carignan is, I think, one of the more interesting varieties in California, but it doesn't necessarily make interesting wine always if that kind of makes sense you know what i mean i think pinot noir even if you make shitty pinot noir it's still kind of interesting yeah um carignan if you make shitty carignan it's boring as shit right but i think that like you in the right way in the lovemaking that i would be doing to carignan i feel like we in in the very way yeah exactly exactly yeah yeah. exactly hey carignan yeah Come over here to Michael. <laughs> On, man, in the cans, that is nice. That is nice. <laughs> um, so what are you most excited about for the future uh, with Cruise Wine? I mean, you're li- I mean, it could be a Cruise Wine company in your life. You know, have a beautiful girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think, like, you know, taking the, like, kids aside, yeah. I think, because fuck them. Um, yeah, because they just, you, you have no choice. They're you yours. have no choice. Yeah. They're yours. They're, they're, <laughs> but, I mean, that aside... I would say this. I would say I'm really excited about how many other people are making sparkling wine in California. You know what I mean? And I think that, like, there are people that are doing really interesting things in it and things that I can't do in it necessarily. And I think aspirationally, the idea of me sort of building a vineyard at some point down the line, having a little bit of dirt and sort of working from that, and I guess kind of this is a weird way to put it, but, you know, this industry is a strange one, right? Yeah. It's not like anything else that I know of anyway, because you only get to make wine once a year, which means if you start in your mid 20s like I did or late 20s like I did, I probably have 60 vintages in me. Maybe. It's, very, right? uh, it's a great way of putting it. Yes. Right. So the getting old in the industry while still trying to maintain your importance is a really interesting one and it's not one that i'm like afraid of actually i'm actually more excited by that if that if that makes sense yeah i mean it's a lot easier than madonna having to give a speech at the grammys right right like right like 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 like, no matter what i'm sure no matter what like fucking people respect robert mondavi yeah right 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 right, right, like 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 I understand, but like, but like, there are other industries where like it just you just age out. Well, you age out, and the other thing too is you do so much in one year. You know what I mean? Oh, that's you, another thing too. Yeah, right. yeah. You, you got I one do shot. so I do so yeah, little yeah, in one yeah. year. People really. will do yeah. like like in Texas, right? Like people, you 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 could be on the road three hundred days a year, yeah, yeah. and you're a musician or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then like now, like like the Stones, like we're doing twelve concerts. We're doing well. One and month. the thing is, like, think about a guy like I mean, whatever. But think about it like a short lived performer like eric dolphy right yeah yeah like homeboy was probably playing 10 hours a day right or yep. something like that yep. you know yep. what i mean for a period of uh, eight years yep. 12 years something like that um all the eric dolphy experts can like tell me i'm wrong yeah that, but you know whatever i think like the one who's listening the one who's listening <laughs> but i think that like that's that's kind of what i'm saying like we don't get those at bats really, right? So right. Sort of looking at what that ends up being over the years is a really interesting I like thing. That. Yeah. yeah, it's not you don't get reps, right? Yep. You yep. don't get the reps. You yep. get one. That's just the vintage, you know. So that's that's very cool. Yeah. Um, last question: Is there a bottle that started off for you? Because I know, like we've talked, you had this 
weird foray into wine, but mm. like, but like, even after you started at Sutter, was there a bottle of wine that you're like, oh, I really get this wine thing? Do you have Do you have that bottle or no? I don't really. I would say this. I would say that like there were. I never had one bottle that I sort of connected with more than anything else. I would say, though, that over the course of my career, there have been bottlings from people that okay. I start feeling like I understand wine industry writ large. Mm -hmm. So, like, this is a dumb one, but we were talking about it today at lunch. But, like, Jean-Baptiste Lecron, who's, like, again, I don't know him well enough to say he's a mentor of mine. I don't spend enough time with him. But, like, he really quite influential gentleman for me um you know uh chef de cabot rotor and, and crystal and all that and i think like his 08 his 2012 like those are really impressive wines um and i'll throw another one out there i had a 96 uh crude clos de Manil, mm. um that i think is probably as close to a perfect wine as possible but it didn't bring me any pleasure do you mm. know what i mean and yeah, i think yeah. it was like or or it it the the amount of perfection never matched the amount of pleasure. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And I think that like that was as influential and interesting to me as anything else I've ever had. So right on, man. Yeah. Michael, thank you so much for coming in, man. I'm Thanks, so man. glad this happened. Thrilled to get to meet you. Can't wait to hang out with you some more. Tell people where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing. Um, yeah, if you want to sign up for the Ultramarine waiting list, it's ultramarinewines.com. Uh, you can buy Cruise right now if you want to try that, cruisewineco.com. Awesome. And for all you listeners, don't forget to check the show notes. That's where I will put the information. I'll put links to Michael's socials, the websites for these wines. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's the show notes is where you can find that stuff. So until the next time, cheers to my mavericks, philosophers, deep thinkers, and wine drinkers. It's your boy, MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. <laughs>